Thank you for joining us for On a Positive Note. I'm your host, Paula Phelps, and each month I'm sitting down with a songwriter, recording artist, or music insider to learn how music can lift our spirits and heal our hearts. Music has such a powerful healing ability that some researchers are even looking at sonic pharmacology, using music as a tool to improve patients' health. Steve Keller is one of the world's leading experts on sonic strategy, and as a researcher, he has explored how music and sound affect everything from our physical well-being, to our emotional state, to our relationships and overall perception of happiness. In this episode, he looks at the many surprising ways music can be used as a healing tool, and he explains why one day, your doctor might just hand you a musical prescription. Steve, thank you for joining us for On a Positive Note. Thanks, Paula. I am so happy to be here to share a conversation with you. We have had conversations on many different levels. In the interest of full disclosure, you are the first friend that I made in Nashville. (laughs) And it was at a conference where you were talking about sound. We go back a ways and delighted to be able to talk to you about music anytime. Well, and I'm thrilled to talk about anything that's related to music and sound because it's such a passion of mine, as hopefully folks will hear as we get into the discussion. (laughs) Well, first off, we got to start with your title because you have Mm -hmm. like the coolest title ever (laughs) because audio alchemist and sonic strategist. (laughs) What does that mean in English? Uh, You know, people often ask me that, so I've tried to come up with a pithy (laughs) short version to describe what I do. My official title is Sonic Strategy Director for Studio Resonate. Studio Resonate is an in-house audio-first creative consultancy that works with brands that advertise on the SXM media platforms like SiriusXM and Pandora, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And so in my day-to-day work, my job is really to blend sound science with sound art to help our clients make sound decisions literally and figuratively. (laughs) And that's where this idea of audio alchemy comes in. You know, the idea of the alchemist that was, was blending things in the search of taking something that was ordinary and turning it into something precious. There's a transformative piece of that. And I think that that sound has the capacity to transform our lives and the world around us. And I do think this blend of science and art uh, can have a real impact on us. So that's the easiest way I've come up with describing what sonic strategy and, and audio alchemy is. That's fantastic. And, you know, listening to you through the years, I've learned so much about the way sound can affect us, not just music, but sound and the way it's being used to, in some cases, manipulate us, and in some cases, you know, change our emotional state. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you have done so much research into the way sound and music affects us, and that is everything from the way it changes our hospital experience and the way that patients Mm -hmm. experience pain to the way it changes how food tastes. Mm -hmm. What has driven this interest in research? Well, I think there's a a part of me that's just, uh, I'm a geek and a nerd. (laughs) <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm an academic at heart. And so even though I have years of experience, having lived, uh, as you mentioned, in Nashville for 30 years and working in the music industry as a composer, as a producer, I come at the art of music. But my university degree is in psychology, and I love science. So I was driven really to understand where where are the 
the emotional connections? What's happening with us in terms of our cognition, in terms of our physiology? And so I've dove headfirst into the academic side of that and have an opportunity to have worked with some wonderfully talented, smart academics um, through the course of my career and continue to do so and do research with them. Yeah, one of the pieces of research that I read and you co-authored with, I believe it was Charles Spence, where you talked about how music can be leveraged in a healthcare setting. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit about what you've learned about what music can do for our physical health? Because I want to get into our mental health But yeah, let's talk first about the physical. Yeah. And it's sometimes difficult to separate our physical health from our mental health because as as you know, it's it's all connected and a frame of mind can impact our physiology, those, those outcomes. But what Charles and I wanted to do was take a look at the literature because there's been a Uh, just a wealth of research that's been done on the impact of music and soundscapes and more negatively noise in healthcare environments. But it's curious to us as to why more hospital administrators and healthcare providers don't lean into that research, Mm -hmm. don't look at creating sonic experiences that can impact patient outcomes and satisfaction. So what we did was we took the route of kind of approaching it from a business angle. And as a hospital administrator, particularly here in the US where there's a lot of competition, you know, looking at the experience economy and how consumers or patients are really attracted to brands and services that give them a positive experience. And so why not think about someone's experience as a patient in a healthcare environment, if you can improve that experience, then that improves the perception of the healthcare provider as well. So we dove into research that looked at how music and soundscapes and noise can impact your entire journey in healthcare settings from preoperative and perioperative um, concerns to use of music and sounds in the operating theater, in recovery, looking at uh, how it can mitigate pain, help us manage um, emotions, the problem of noise in healthcare settings and its impact on us and carrying that all the way through to looking at nutrition and the use of music and sound as part of death and dying and and grieving practices. So that's (laughs) just unpacking that (laughs) in the short time that we have is a task in and of itself. But I will just say that I often talk about the fact that we're wired for sound. And I mean that quite literally. Our bodies are wired for sound. And the neurotransmitters and the chemicals that our brain produces, the oxytocin, the dopamine, the cortisol, are all tied to benefits and the way that we can start using music and sound more intentionally to create those physiological impacts that are desired uh, rather than it being as haphazard. And pharmacology is important, and certainly we've learned a lot from the medical sciences in the treatment of disease, but we can also benefit from using what we know about our senses and particularly our sense of hearing and sound 
and channeling that to help in the the healing and wellness part of the equation. So do you see practitioners becoming more open to that? I remember years ago, you and I talked about how you could see a day when they wrote a prescription for music for patients. And I mean, I thought that was really visionary because that was at least five years ago that we had that discussion. Yeah. Are we getting closer? I think we're definitely getting closer. You're beginning to find some healthcare administrators and hospital environments that are looking at how they can adapt the physical spaces themselves to treatment. There's been this intersection, if you will, between healthcare and hospitality, kind of Mm -hmm. looking at the importance of the aesthetics. And part of that is the sound and what you're hearing as a patient with treatment. I think another thing that's driving this is also the rise in the private sector using technology and apps, you know, apps like Calm or apps like Indel, that are concentrating a little bit more on the the psychological elements of the equation, but using sound to kind of mitigate emotions, to also fit uh, certain jobs if we're needing to relax, if we're needing to focus, if we're needing to, to work out. And that's driving more adoption of the idea by the general public. And I think that's making it a little easier for administrators and healthcare brands to start leaning into, well, how could we use sound in a really interesting way? It engages people. It's good for our marketing, but there can also be this very real benefit to a patient outcome. And so I think we're, I think we're seeing folks lean into that even more. I really think the turning point will be, you know, the place where our insurance begins to pay for some of these services. I mean, that's been a challenge, even with things that have been more traditionally accepted, like music therapies. And there's been a lot of research in the efficacy of music therapy, as you know, whether it be in the, the physiological benefits or the psychological benefits. But it's only been recently that we've started to see states adopting certification where these treatments can be covered by insurance. Uh, So does this mean like one day I might be able to charge my concerts to my health insurance? (laughs) Is that, can we please go Um, there? (laughs) I I suppose that might be possible. Is this between uh, me and my accountant? (laughs) Yeah, I think that is between you and your accountant. But I do think what we'll see more is, you know, this intentional creation of spaces that are designed for health and well-being, some of them kind of being driven by music and sound and soundscapes. And then certainly, you know, the the intentional application of a sonic pharmacology, if you will, listening to particular kinds of music or tracks that have been specifically created to produce the psychological and physiological benefits. And I do want to emphasize that this is really grounded in science. Yeah. You know, cuz cuz there there is some pseudoscience that exists out there and some of this we can get very easily into what I call woo-woo territory, <laughs> but what I'm talking about today are research that has been done, duplicated and published in peer-reviewed journals. Mm-hmm. So there's a rigor of science around it. Yeah, there really is. 
And, you know, of course, the main thing we wanted to talk about today was mental health and well-being. And obviously, people experienced a downturn in positive mental health over the past couple of years. And so really, that's our big quest is, can you talk about how we can use music in that same way to improve our mental well-being? Sure. I was a part of a group of academics around the world that were starting to, you know, kind of build a shared database of research that was being done, things that we were seeing that were happening with sound during um, COVID and particularly during isolation. And I think some of the things that we saw occurring was that, first of all, people were leaning in more to using music and playlists and sounds as a way to manage emotional states, whether they were happy uh, or sad or feeling anxious, certainly looking at sound in those contexts. But I think we also saw a social dynamic of music that I think we know intuitively is there, but sometimes we don't focus on it as much. One piece of research that came out during the pandemic was really beginning to understand how in these periods of isolation, we started to use music as a social surrogate. Oh, interesting. It didn't just help us emotionally, but it reminded us of connections. It helped us feel the results of those connections. You know, oxytocin is a chemical that's produced very often when we're singing together, when we move in time to music together, this this kind of rhythmic entrainment is the specific term for it. And oxytocin is the, the love drug. It's what helps us feel connected and all warm and fuzzy uh, inside and a sense of belonging. And researchers were finding that music was becoming a, a social surrogate, not just, um, you know, helping with emotions, but actually helping people feel connected. I think that social dynamic was hugely important for us during the, during the pandemic. And I think one other thing that happened in the pandemic, not just related to music, but sound in general, I think it pushed us to listen a little differently. You know, a lot of stories of what was happening in communities when people weren't getting out, when people weren't driving as much. I live in Oakland, you know, near San Francisco, and there was an article that came out about the bird song that people were hearing that they had lost in the din of of city life. And some ecosystems, sonic ecosystems coming back to life when you know, the world quieted down right. uh, because we weren't out as much. The hustle and the bustle wasn't there. And I know for myself, going out for walks in the morning, I was just tuned in to listening in a different way. The isolation had kind of pushed me to listen differently. So I think there's that impact as well. It's not just the things that we hear, but it's the intention that we bring to hearing them. So how do we then hold on to that? Or did we hold on to that as things open back up? Or did we we just go, okay, that was cool, chuck it out the window and went right back to where we were? What do you what are you seeing? Well I you know I think there's gonna be a move back to, you know, behaviors as we knew them before. I mean behavioral change, particularly with a species as a whole 
can take tens of thousands of years. So, you know, I, I don't think that there's going to be an overnight change, but I do think there's changes in our approach to work in the mm-hmm. ways that we're working at home, how we're socializing. And I think that's bringing a different kind of intention and awareness to the role that music and sound plays in our lives, in our work, in our connection with each other. You know, you saw the explosion of a platform like Clubhouse, you right. know, social audio, and you've seen a huge fall off on the other side of the pandemic. But you've also seen other companies like Meta, which was Facebook, Twitter, even Spotify, kind of getting into these social audio spaces. And I don't think they're going away. I think we love the idea of hopping onto an app and talking about a topic with people who are strangers, but may be like-minded. And looking at, at the development of group cohesion around that and certainly our shared experience with music and the kind of music that we like and things that speak to us and our own stories around what the those those pieces of music are to us in terms of the soundtrack of our lives are fascinating and i think it's even on the other side of the pandemic we're going to see a little more intention to the way the world sounds around us One thing that you wrote about that I read recently is the research that shows when music is being played at home, the household members were actually brought together. I found this very fascinating. Can you talk about that a little bit and explain how that works and why that's so good for us? Yes, that was actually the result of some research that Apple and Sonos had done. And so they were looking at homes, kind of establishing a baseline and seeing what happened when when music was played in the home. And it was really a fascinating study. They found that in homes where there was more music, people actually physically sat closer to each other. There was was much more interaction. <laughs> Adults spent more awake time in bed, quote unquote, awake time. <laughs> were they reading? What, what Steve, that was code for. <laughs> <laughs> they may have been reading. I'm not sure what they would have been reading. But that, uh, that people were more prone to say, I love you as a result. And again, I think that that some of this is is not surprising and it's intuitive, but the science behind it are these chemicals that are being uh, tapped in the brain as we have these experiences. I talked about oxytocin. Dopamine is another chemical that that happens when we feel pleasure or we receive a reward. And we tend to want to repeat actions that release that dopamine. That's one of the reasons why we like to listen to a song over and over again. So you look at music in these physical environments. And so we, we have our homes. If we can be more intentional about music and soundscapes and also thinking about noise, I think we often forget about the impact of noise mm-hmm. on our lives and on our health and well-being. I mean, we know that noise uh, can result in an increase in obesity, that noise certainly can have an impact on the kind of sleep that we're getting, that it can traumatize us in certain situations. 
so I think we're needing to get a little more conscientious with how we're thinking about noise, not just in our homes, but in our communities, in our city soundscapes, and thinking about the, the impact of that. What's been fascinating to me as a human and also as a researcher are the ways that these questions about music and sound and noise cut through a lot of life in ways that I might not have have thought about. Yeah, I'm shocked when I read your most recent article. I think it was in Adweek and the many ways that it affects our health, both mentally and physically. And, you know, I've heard you speak about sound and the way it can affect how food tastes. But what I was surprised is when I read about sound and diet and how you're saying sound can change the amount of food that we take in. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh. So we got to talk about that. So how does that work? And then knowing that, how do we use that to create a healthier lifestyle, healthier eating habits through music? Sure. Well, one of the things that we've discovered through research, particularly in restaurants, is that when folks are eating in a restaurant where there's a really noisy environment, there's two things that that happen. One is that noise tends to dull our, our perception of flavor. And so it has a negative impact on the, the flavor of the food. But more than that, we found that we consume more in really noisy environments. Now, restauranteurs may think, oh, well, let me turn up the great. music because that means <laughs> people are going to order more. They're going to spend more money. But then those restaurateurs forget that uh, research also shows us that the number one complaint about restaurants uh, is typically not the food. It's the noise in the environment. And we found that you know, if you drop that noise level to where people can still hear ambient sounds, music can still be part of the ex experience, but we can have pleasant conversations with one another. There are other sonic cues that might be associated with the food, the flavor returns. It makes for a more enjoyable experience. And we start to pay more attention to what we're eating and how we're eating and how it makes us feel. So some of the things that we can do in thinking about this research, not just in restaurants, but even at home, is you know, thinking about what's the sound in our environment that we're playing when we're, we're eating, giving ourselves a, an opportunity to maybe relax a little bit, slow down the pace at which we're eating. It may be a little too much to think about wearing earplugs while you're eating, but we found <laughs> that wearing earplugs can result in up to 30% less caloric intake. And we think part of really? that's just because you're not being distracted. You know, you're getting in tune with your own mastication, your own chewing. There aren't sonic distractions around you. And as a result, as you feel full, you're more aware of that and you're more likely to simply stop eating at that point. So by using some of these, what Charles Spence, my friend and, and colleague from the Crossmodal Research Laboratory at Oxford University, what Charles Spence calls sensory hacking, where you use one of our senses to hack another. So kind of using sound or the absence of sound, the mitigation of noise as a way to hack 
our flavor perception as well as our sense of fullness and and satisfaction. So those are just a couple of simple little things that can be done, you know, and you can enhance the experience of eating at home sometimes by finding soundscapes that are what we would call cross-modally congruent, you know. Uh, what and some does, of that can, tell us can, what that can, means. <laughs> cross-modally congruent just means it fits with our sensory experience. In other words, things that we find being naturally sweet in taste, like a dessert, tend to be associated with sounds that are higher pitched, a little faster tempos, brighter tonalities and timbres, things that are much more rich, like a bitter chocolate or coffee, maybe more savory tastes are associated with soundscapes that are a little lower in pitch, are a little slower in tempo. The notes are legato, meaning they're they're connected together. And certainly there are ethnic cues in music. Mm-hmm. And so even something as simple as you're preparing an Italian meal, it seems like a cliche, but things that we might associate as Italian music or a Spanish meal and Spanish music or a Turkish meal or Middle Eastern meal. All of these things can be enhanced by pulling together soundscapes that create an environment that are not only pleasing to our senses, but help us focus on the food and experience the food in a, in a different way. That's terrific. That's like, we should all try that at home. And, yeah, uh, that's I love that. So now you've done so much research. You've learned so much about this topic. So based on all that, distill down years worth of information. Like what advice do you have on how we can best use music as a tool to improve our overall mental health and well-being, particularly right now? I think the first thing that we can do is just become aware, realizing that our health and well-being isn't just about working out, which is important for our our bodies. It's not just about our diet and the kind of foods that we consume, but our other senses play a role in that too. I mean, we're not talking about our sense of sight, but there's research into colors on the walls, colors on plates that can have an impact on our emotions, um, on our consumption of food and our experience of flavor. So with sound, just become more aware and more intentional. Think about what's the context? What are you getting ready to do? Is there a particular job that you're focused on, whether that be a workout, whether that be relaxation, whether that be wanting to move from a more negative emotional state to a more positive emotional state, and think about how the sounds in your environment can play a role in your health and well-being. That's fantastic. And I think what we'll do, instead of sending people out to research it, we're going to have you keep researching it. We're just going to have you back (laughs) every few months, and you can just fill us in on what you've learned. (laughs) Anytime. Well, I mean, you know, I love this stuff. It's not just a profession for me. It's a, it's a personal passion and I'm happy to, to talk about it anytime and certainly appreciate it when I hear other people share with me what their experiences are. Mm-hmm. What are things that have, have worked for them? And often in those experiences, I find either something that ties into research or maybe becomes an idea for 
a study in and of itself, you know, and, and something interesting that I had never thought of. So these kinds of conversations are are a huge part of my life and I love having them. So I appreciate the, the time to chat with you. That was Steve Keller talking about how music can be used as a tool for physical healing, emotional well-being, and even improving our connections. If you'd like to learn more about Steve and the research he's doing, or follow him on social media, just visit livehappy.com and click on the podcast link. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of On a Positive Note and look forward to joining you again next month. Until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one.